Tonight we continue in our Kingdom of God is Like series. Again, for those of you that haven't been with us, we are looking at the parables that Christ begins with that very statement. The Kingdom of God is like, and then He gives a parable to explain exactly what the Kingdom of God is like. And as always, again, parables are not only designed to communicate truths, but they are designed in the way that Christ would use them. They are designed to draw the listener to pursue those truths in their own lives. And I will tell you that the parable, really parables that we're going to to look at this evening, uh, you know, I look at the parables of Christ. Some of his parables are deeply encouraging. Some of his parables are deeply challenging. Some of his parables are absolute splash of cold water in the face intended to wake up a people, intended to uh, churn up ground in the souls that he's speaking to so that he can plant the seeds of life. Because he said he does all of them, regardless of, of the nature of the parable, they are all given as words of life to draw them near to him, to cause them to pursue the God of their salvation in Jesus Christ and receive everything that he has uh, to offer for them. And so tonight, we're going to look at a couple of parables that I think will both challenge us. A little bit of a splash of cold water, but they really are intended. They are are spoken in love by the God who is love to draw us near to himself because he so wants us there eternally. Okay. When I was growing up as a kid in New Orleans, I was about 45 minutes away from Biloxi, Mississippi, Biloxi, Mississippi, back then, pre-casino days, okay? Now there's casinos all over the beach, and it's a totally different atmosphere than it was when I was growing up. But when I was growing up, it was a wonderful little small townish beach scene on the Gulf of Mexico. My grandma and granddaddy would take me there every summer at least once where they would just let me play in the pool, take me over to the Gulf of Mexico, and I'd, I'd go you know, play in the, in the Gulf uh, with them. But every time we'd go to Biloxi, we would go to a breakfast place called the Marina. It literally was on a marina in Biloxi. So there are all these boats and different vessels that would pull in. We would be eating, and the windows are all around it, so you can see all the boats as they come in from the Gulf and go out, whether they're the little personal boats or, and what I want to describe to you, what I would often see is the shrimp boats would come in. The marina would have shrimp boats. And I always was fascinated as a kid because I would see them go out and I'd see others come in, you know, at various times. And there were times that my grandma and granddaddy would take me out to the dock and we'd literally watch once they got in what they would do. Now their nets were full when they came in. The Gulf is full of shrimp and a whole lot of other things, obviously. And so we would see this full net come in. Now, many of you know that when the shrimp boats come in with the net full, they don't just have shrimp in them. They come in and they have to separate everything that's in there. They separate the shrimp. They separate the other fish. And how many of you understand that it's not just living creatures that get caught up in that net? There's a lot of junk in the Gulf. There's garbage. Okay? So I would watch as a kid, watch them dump everything on the deck. And that was pretty fun to watch. These big full nests just dump on the, on the deck. And then they'd start separating what they needed and putting them in certain places and casting some overboard. And then they would take the trash and they would put them all in trash bins. And the trash would get hauled off 
to either be burned or buried in the landfills or whatever, but the trash was carted off, you know, and, and to, to be destroyed. Uh, and uh, our Lord Jesus Christ will tell us tonight that that's what the kingdom of God is like. We're going to hear this in a parable called the parable of the dragnet. Just like when the shrimpers would catch everything in the net, once they would get back to shore, they would separate, they would discard, and they would keep. Okay? I want to read to you the parable of the dragnet as Jesus tells it from the Gospel of St. Matthew in chapter 13. Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind which when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they answered to him, yes. This is very, obviously every parallel Jesus teaches is important. But this one is so important. He really wants them to understand the picture here. Do you get this? Because I'm telling you, this is how it's going to be. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. And you know, one of the questions that comes to my mind when I look at at this parable And I think back to the shrimp in the Gulf of Mexico and the scene I had, because it's the same scene. They're out there, they cast the net, full catch. And then when they get back to shore, when the boat is full, they get back to shore, and there is separation of the good from the bad. The bad is thrown into the fire. It It is waste for everything. And the good continue on. What's one of the questions you really want to know when you see this? What question does that conjure in your mind? If in the end, if on the last day, all that have been in the ship, and we're going to get to that in a minute, all that have been in the ship are separated, some to life and some to life without God, which is no life, death. What's, what's a question you might ask? What's the definition of good? What's the definition of good? I want to know what, I want to know what good is. I would rather be a good fish, right, in that scenario. Absolutely. In other words, Lord Jesus, what is the, what is the means of your discernment? Because you're the judge. How is it that you look upon us? All those you have created, how is it that you look upon us and determine? And we're going to get to that tonight. I think it's an excellent question. But when it comes to this parable, I really want you to hear, more than anything, the church fathers really paint wonderful pictures for us of understanding 
of what it is that Jesus is teaching. And all the ones that I'm going to mention to you, uh, we're going to hear from St. Hilary, who was a bishop around A.D. 350. We're going to hear a number of teachings from St. Gregory the Great, who was bishop of Rome around 600. And we're going to hear a teaching from St. Cyril of Alexandria, A.D. 400s is when he was the bishop at that time. I want you to hear their teaching, and then we're going to continue to look at this and talk about this together. So let's hear the fathers on this. First, St. Hilary. He said, The Lord compared his preaching with a net. Coming into the world without condemning the world, he gathered those who were dwelling within it in the manner of a net. Tossed into the sea, that net hauled up from the bottom, encircling every creature in that element. It draws out all those things that it is netted. It lifts us out of the world and into the light of the true sun. With the choice of righteous honor and the rejection of evil, it brings to light the scrutiny of the judgment to come. A number, from, a number of uh, teachings from St. Gregory the Great. Our holy church here is compared to a net and a boat because it has been entrusted to fishermen. And because all people are drawn up in it from the turbulent waters of the present age into the eternal kingdom, lest we drown in the depths to eternal death. This net gathers all kinds of fish because it calls to forgiveness of sins everyone wise and foolish, free and slave, rich and poor. The fishermen bring it in and sit down on the shore, because just as the sea signifies this present age, the shore signifies the end of this present age. Another one from St. Gregory the Great. At the end of this present age, the good fish are to be sorted into baskets, the bad one thrown away. Then all the elect... All those in Christ will be received into eternal dwellings and the condemned will be led away into external darkness since they have lost the light of the kingdom within them. Meanwhile, the fishing... Excuse me. Meanwhile, the fishing net of faith holds us together as intermingled fish, both good and bad. Last one from St. Gregory the Great. Once on the shore, however, the fishing net that is the Holy Church indicates what it is drawn in. Some fish, when they have been caught, refused to be changed. Others of us who were caught while we were wicked become transformed for the better. Let us bear this in mind as we are in the process of being caught lest we be thrown on the shore. We're going to examine that some more in a minute. That gives you a little tip on the judgment, the discernment of Christ. But it also is, tells us a whole lot about salvation and our salvation in Christ. We're going to come back to that. St. Cyril of Alexandria taught this. The calling, that is, through Christ is to be extended through the whole world. The net of the gospel preaching seeks to gather people out of every nation. So likewise, the power of preaching and the marvelous and intricate teaching of the sacred doctrines which the apostles as good fishermen wove together draw people from every nation and gather them together for God. 
This net will gather all fish together until the time of consummation. Then out, excuse me, then out of all those who have been dragged out and caught, the angels appointed by God will make separation between the wicked and the just. There's a number of things I want us to see in the progression of what all of those fathers have spoken about. And the first is this. It's very apparent that it is Jesus Christ Himself who cast the first net. In fact, He even paints this picture at the calling of the first disciples. Remember that? It was all about fishermen. Peter, James, and John. He goes to them. They hadn't caught anything all night. He tells them to go out into the deeper waters, cast the net. They cast it, and all of a sudden, because he had commanded the fish to be ready for them, the net is full, almost breaking, and they haul it in. He says, follow me, and I'll make you what? That's why the apostles are known as fishermen. And, And the Eastern Rite has a blessed hymn that calls them the fishermen that fished the whole universe as it would continue on through the church. So our Lord Jesus Christ is the first to cast a net through the incarnation, and He did. And many followed Him, and many experienced Him, and many were in His boat, so to speak. And they grew in Him as He taught them and showed them what the kingdom of God is like by not only the word of preaching, but by the absolute demonstration of all that is good and perfect and ordered as God Himself through Christ would be restoring all things to Himself. And so He cast the net. And He lived from His oneness with God that we might see how now being in union with Christ we are to continue to live. And the second thing is, is this, and some of the fathers you just heard mention this, that then Jesus left the boat and the net and the fishing business, so to speak, with His apostles. And it continued through their generations. And so they set out into the sea. They expanded beyond Jerusalem and they went all over the known world at that point. And many were coming into the boat, starting with the thousands that came into the boat upon Pentecost itself, when Christ would call all those to Himself and fill Him with Himself for that continuing ministry. And they were all brought into the Ark of Salvation. And now we come to our present That we are the continuation of the same. The apostolic has not gone away. It's been handed down from generation to generation. And continuing people have come into the ark of salvation. Hearing the preaching. Seeing the realities of Christ. Experiencing Christ for themselves. And so they come into the ark of salvation. And finally, and here's the point. That's one of the points that St. Gregory makes. That all those from the time of Christ to today... All of those who have been in the ark of salvation have been given all of the grace of God to be saved. Every one of them in that ark of salvation has been given everything they need to be saved because they've been offered God Himself. And how are we saved? We are saved living and dwelling in actual union with a living triune God who has filled every one of us. He has filled every one of us. But listen again to what St. Gregory the Great says. And by the way, notice something. Everything we're talking about is within the Ark of Salvation so far. It's those that have been caught in the net that has been cast by Christ 
and Christ through his church. And St. Gregory says this, Some fish, when they have been caught, refuse to be transformed. Others of us who were caught while we are wicked can become transformed for the better. Let us bear this in mind. Wherein, when we're in the process of being caught, lest we be thrown aside on the shore. We're going to get to more discernment on what it is that Christ looks for when it comes to this great decision where he separates. Okay? But here we have one thing. What, what do you see is one degree of his. Wisdom and judgment in the souls of man to make the decision when he makes the great separation, based on what St. Gregory just said. He watches for our remorsefulness. Okay. I mean, if you, if you try to be transformed but don't be remorseful, then you're not trying to change. Okay. And, and, and there's something you just said, too. The, the key word that I see in St. Gregory is transformed. Some fish, when they were caught, refused to be transformed. Others, who were caught while we were wicked, become transformed. Willingness. Willingness. Willingness, will, give, me, give me some more. Yes, willingness. Willingness to be transformed. Willingness to accept Christ and what His teachings say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of just saying, no, yeah. I'm not going to do yeah. that. What on that point, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a what? A follower. A follower. A servant. A servant of. A student of. Good. Keep going. These are good. A lover of. Uh, What I'm hearing from everybody. Follower. Servant of. Lover of. And so on. I'm hearing some form of active relationship. Am I not? Think about it. Let's look at Jesus and his disciples. What did that life look like? Everywhere he went, where were they? With him. Every day. And this is something that always amazes me when I look at the Gospels. Because remember what St. John says at the, end of his, at the end of his Gospel. Were I to record everything that he taught or did, the world couldn't contain it. And we have in the Gospels so many incredible things. I often want to be in the pocket of the disciples simply when they're journeying from one place to another or stopping to camp for the day just to see what the fellowship looked like, just to hear what Jesus is feeding his sheep that we don't have in the scripture because remember, three years he was with them, right? Living as a disciple means... I am, you are, actively following the person in that relationship. What do we say in orthodoxy all the time? We've even mentioned it tonight. Our salvation comes from what? Union with a living God. 
What does Jesus say in the parable of the vine and the branches? We'll draw from that here and there, both with this parable and with one more we're going to look at briefly tonight. He says in the vine and the branches, remember the example, it's a horticultural example, that Jesus is the vine, right? And what's inside a vine that brings life to the branches? Sap, right? The sap of the vine. There's a horticultural reality that you can take a dead and lifeless branch of a completely different type of vine. Doesn't even have to be this type of vine. You put a notch in, you plug in the dead and lifeless branch, and you put it to where it will be held in place securely. That's what they do in horticulture. The sap from the branch flows into that vine, the dead one. It brings it to life, and the branch bears the fruit of what? Not what it was before. It bears the fruit of the vine it's plugged into. It's an amazing thing. It's very real in horticulture. And Jesus uses this example back then. And what does he say? He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will not bear. He doesn't say this. I'm giving you the inference. You will not bear the fruit that you bore before, the fruit of death, the fruit of lifelessness, the fruit of sin, the fallenness, what will you bear? The fruit of the virtues of who God is in your life. So what the fathers are saying and what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying that when there is that separation, good and bad, the good are the ones that grew in the virtues of Christ, that grew in His likeness. We all believe that we were created in the image of God to grow in the likeness. We lost the ability to grow in the likeness at the fall because we lost union with God. The incarnation restored the union. Therefore, we now have access once again by fellowship with God, by following God, by actively living, making Him all that we live and move from. Right? By engaging Him in such a very real way. That our soul may be so transformed that everything that comes out of it is the same that came from Christ when He was upon the earth. We become like Him. The church calls this theosis, our salvation, becoming like our God, right? And so Jesus says that there is a time, this, we are in this age where the net is continually being cast. We happen to be fish that have been pulled into the boat. We have been baptized. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he is saying is that when that boat is full and comes on shore, then there'll be this judgment that he calls on. And then at the end of that, he says, do you understand me? Tell me you understand. And they said, yes, we understand. This takes us. And I'm going to mention this one briefly. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we're very familiar. At least most of us will be very familiar with this. I want us to look further at the discernment of God over us. And what he's trying to draw us to by going to the parable of the sheep and the goats. And that comes from Matthew in chapter 25. Now the parable of the sheep and the goats, basically if you took the parable of the dragnet and you pulled the boat to shore, now the parable of the sheep and the goats takes place. Okay? And if you remember, all of them are gathered before God. It says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and the, all the holy angels with Him. 
All will be put before him. Now, this all is a bit more extensive. It's not just all in the Ark of Salvation. In the end, it is all souls as well. Okay? And then he says this. The king will say to those, he's separated already the sheep and the goats. Good fish from the bad fish, so to speak, that he uses in the last parable. And the king will say to those on his right hand, the sheep, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited with me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the sheep looked at him and said, when did we do all this? We were overjoyed. But when did we do all of this? And he ends up saying the same thing again. He said, well, you know, when did we see you in prison? When did we clothe you? And Jesus says, when you did it not to the least of these, my, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And then he looks over at the goats that he had separated and he does the opposite. You didn't visit me while I was in prison. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. You didn't feed me when I was hungry. And they, almost astonished you get from their responses, when, when, I mean, when did we not do this? Jesus has the same answer. When you did it not. And lest you think that this is entirely works-based, you're missing the point. What did we say in the parable of the vine and the branches? That those who remain in the vine are transformed. Is there any way at all for any dead and lifeless branch, A, to come back to life, and B, to bear the fruit of the vine that it's plugged into and grafted into without the vine? Who really did the works? Who did the works? What the people did was follow Him, allow Him to transform their lives. And by the transformation of their life, and this is true with every transformation of life, anytime our lives are transformed into the likeness of God, that which comes out of us is of the likeness of God. We are in a continual process while we're in the ark of salvation. Those who continue to follow Christ, those who continue to allow Him to heal their soul, we'll see the results of that as what comes out of them are the living waters that Jesus said would flow out of those who are in Him. That is, these virtues. And these actions are simply the virtues of Christ with feet put to them. They're the results of becoming love toward others. I get it. It's not of works, it's of fruit. It's a fruit. It's a fruit. That's when you keep getting caught on works. Always. The fruit. We so quickly go to works, and works brings shame because of our failures to do the works. You've heard me say so many times recently, and you might even hear it more, because I think it's so critical. What is the entire what what ought to be the entire focus of every Christian? Battling their demons or remaining in Christ? Because if I remain in Christ, He is my victory over even my demons. You see? He's the victory over my enemies. 
He is the only one that can transform my soul. He is the only one that Scripture said is both the author and the finisher of my faith. What's my role? What is the role of a disciple? What is the role of someone in the ark of salvation simply to avail themselves and press in and remain in fellowship with Christ and live in and from Him? Make Him the number one thing in our lives. Experience fellowship with Him in prayer, not just mouthing words. But let prayer become in our lives communion, fellowship with God. And begin to experience that fellowship in our lives will be and you'll find them transformed. Because we do not live a works-based faith. We live a transformation-based faith. That which Christ came because we were so broken, so needy, He gave us Himself so that we might become whole like He's whole. That's the Christian faith. He doesn't change our actions, He changes our heart. Exactly. And so that we can maybe even one step further get rid of this work, work, work issue. Remember, first of all, you hear this every comforting, when we hear the comfortable words after we're given absolution in the Mass. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Now that whole scripture, when you look at it, is Jesus is saying, come and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And when he, when he says, take that yoke upon you, in those days where they were using the wooden yokes for animals to pull the plows and break up the fallow ground, okay, almost always they would have a mature animal, whether it was a bull or a horse or whatever it was, whatever the strong animal was, they would have the mature one and they would put a youngling right next to it, yoked to it. Now when, that, when those two would work to pull the plow, who do you think is doing all the work? The mature, more experienced one. The more experienced one. But what is the young one learning? The how-to. The how-to. The how-to. How but who's really doing the work? But the learning's happening. But who's really doing the work? Do you see this? The young one has been doing all the work himself. That's why Jesus is saying this. You're coming to me so weary. You're weary in your own sin. You're wearied in your own efforts. No, no. Come to me. Come be yoked to me. I'm the strong one. And you stay there postured with me. And I will do the work and you will learn and become. And the fruit of becoming gets fleshed out through that youngling as he grows to maturity. And then he's doing it like the one who showed him how. Because he's been become like the one who showed him how. You get the difference. So when we look at a parable, like the parable of the dragnet, where all of us in the ark of salvation, when it's full and we come to the shore, which is the end of the age, the Lord will look upon us. You know what he's really looking at? You're like me. You've become like me. You've remained in me. He didn't say you're perfect like me. But you remained in me. You grew like me. 
It's the same thing as the parable of the talents. Remember we had that about a month ago in church. And the parable of the talents, all of the church fathers, and even modern day, uh, even modern day theologians, the bulk of them understand the talents to be the grace of God that was given to each. What happened to the ones, even the one that had five, the one that had two, they did something with it. And they were welcomed in, enter into the rest, right? But the one that did nothing with the grace that was given, it was taken away and they were cast aside. We have this strand of thinking all through the Gospels that our salvation is relationship-based, not contract-based. Our Lord Jesus Christ in the ark of salvation, because of everything that He did, He has made a way and has given us, everyone that gets pulled into that boat is given all the divine grace needed for life and salvation. It's the ones who negate that. Who don't take it and let it work in their lives as they stay with Christ yoked to Him. You see? Thoughts, questions. Bewilderment. No, what? I think it's important to realize, too, and this happens earlier in Matthew, um, that Jesus uh, will keep the whole flock here and then run after the one. Yeah. He has a hundred sheep, and he'll keep the ninety-nine here and run after the one that has wandered away. Yeah. The heart of God. We hear this all the time too in the comfortable words. For God so loved the world, right? Not so God so loved the few. Everyone is determined by God. He desires salvation for all. That's never the question. You're exactly right. That's the heart of God. Yes. So Deacon? When we heard the um, lesson of the ungrateful servant, and we thought about the complete hugeness of the debt he couldn't have paid anyway. And then right after that, we got the story of the prodigal son. And it really dawned on me the weight that the son would have had to repay. All of that inheritance that he got from his dad early is gone. He didn't he was not even thinking that he was gonna be a way he could pay that back. That's, right. that's what I was thinking about. Right, right, right. Yeah, Julian. I, I have a, just a cl- uh, clarity question. Sure. So, <coughs> if the parable of the dragnet mm-hmm. is, I guess the question is, what about the fish who don't even get caught? Are there fish that don't get caught? Ab- abso- absolutely. Concerned about the fish who got caught, the pair, yeah. but decided to fall away. Good differentiation. Them, yeah. The the net is being cast to the whole world, right? That's what the gospel would spread all over. But you're right. There are those that they may just deny Christ outright, refuse the gospel himself, right? So the parable of the dragnet is not dealing with them. The parable of the sheep and the goats 
encompasses both those who are in the church. It gathers them all together. You see? The net is the word of, the word of God. Yeah, the, the, net, the net is the... Think of it as... It, it is the word of God going forth, whether by act or word or deed or whatever. It's, it's the experience of Christ himself through his church being cast and whatever means by which, right? Preach the gospel and sometimes use words, right? So whatever happens to be, that's the net being cast. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, there are other scriptures that talk about the judgment comes first to the church. That's straight out of scripture. Okay? So that's, you know, that's there. There, there, this idea um, is one of the reasons why. You know, some people say uh, that how do the Orthodox, for example, how does the Orthodox Church see those outside, Christians outside of Orthodoxy? And the answer, it, it, it quite frankly comes from the truths in the parable of the dragnet. We can't answer that question. We're not that judge. We, we know who we are as the church, you know, but we don't dare judge this. We don't even dare judge the souls within. We're not the judge. We don't, We're the hospital. We don't know on the other side of the lake who got picked up by a dragnet also. Right. That's exactly right. So we don't dare judge. And we don't, and we don't dare judge one another and... and, and we encourage one another. We're the hospital for sinners, right? And so what we seek to do is help one another remain yoked to Christ. You know, I grew up in a church that believed in the theology, once saved, always saved. In fact, it was just before... I, or, or during my journey towards the historic faith that I started looking at some of this and some of those who are still in the once saved, always saved uh, theologies, beliefs out there they, they swing a pendulum because they say if it's not once saved, always saved then it's legalism then it's constant fear and that's not true um, I have departed from the once saved, always saved because I understand now the relationship of union with Christ and our being made whole is our salvation. Not just getting into heaven, being made whole here and now. Eternity's already begun for us. But I don't live in constant fear of being cast out of the boat, and I'll tell you why. Because those who remain in Christ and know Him, you see, we're in Him. I have joy. I have convictions. I have the Holy Spirit showing me those ways that I'm way not like Him. I have grief over my sins. I bring them to Him and cry out for mercy. I experience His mercy. And I trust in what our Lord says. That those who remain in Him and are being transformed by Him, they're not living in a constant state of fear. So I don't buy the swinging of the pendulum, you see, because I have relationship. But it's really true that people do struggle to look at the gospel as Jesus, the kingdom of God is like. And sometimes it causes an adjustment and maybe it should. 
Maybe it should cause an adjustment because Jesus tells us these parables because he desperately wants to woo us to himself out of his love for us. Other thoughts, questions? My question for us is with this, okay, how then shall we live, my friends? My prayer for you is that when you see the truths that are in these parables, and the other things that Scripture says of of like mind with these things, my prayer is that it will press you in a wonderful way to truly push into Christ's fellowship with Him and watch what He will do in your lives and you will experience the incredible mercy of God, the incredible power of God over your own soul. And you'll see that transformation and healing. And you will be in my prayers. Yeah, yes, so Deacon. Yeah, the best thing we can do is to not refuse to let Him transform us. That's what yeah. the other ones did that became right. no good Christians. They refused to, to let Him even transform They did nothing with the most incredible gift they could have been given. Right? Yeah. Well, my prayer is with you, particularly during Lent, as we head towards the cross to the resurrection, so that together we can rejoice with incredible wonder of what God has done and provided for us. Let's stand.